the h1b guy here and today the h1b guy live on december 30th 2021 today i'm going to cover my seven employment based immigration predictions for 2022 but before we get started i'd like to ask you if you haven't already to please subscribe to the h1b guy channel here on youtube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. You can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, and by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Well, I wanted to first of all wish every one of you a happy new year as we head into 2022. Um, I want to make sure I take time to thank our sponsors, of course, Syndesis and Path to Canada, um, as well as perm-ads.com. Really appreciate your support and trust in me to bring more awareness around your platforms and brands. And um, just wanted to say thank you very much. And I look forward to continuing our partnership as we head into 2022. I also wanted to take time to mention to each and every one of the individuals that I've had an opportunity uh, to work with um, individually uh, and help you along your employment-based journey here in the U.S., uh, very appreciative of the time that we've spent together and how I just value our relationships and wanted to say thank you. Um, for those of you that found me through YouTube, uh, through my website, through Twitter, really appreciate you reaching out and uh, wanted to just say thank you very much for the opportunity to help you. Um, wanted to also mention, uh, we will do some, some questions and comments towards the end, kind of depending on time. Um, so if you do have questions or comments, please feel free to, uh, to drop those in the chat. Um, today is all about grading last year's seven employment-based predictions, um, as well as doing our seven immigration predictions for 2022 uh, of course all around employment-based immigration here in the u.s um, some of you who have kept up with this channel and uh, watched me for quite a while may notice um, i've got a new lighting setup and uh, thank you for those of you that have made contributions uh, to this platform um, over the last year year and a half as I always say, any contributions made via the Super Chats here on YouTube or through um, other in, uh, manners, including buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy, uh, are invested back into this platform and the technology that I use. So you may notice I'm a little brighter today, um, and that's because I've got two new lights to go along with my ring light. So the setup just continues to increase 
Uh, unfortunately, we've been having some some pretty bad storms here in Atlanta, and I'm watching my, my Comcast connection bars kind of go up and down. So if I do freeze, um, that is most likely why. And if for some reason I abruptly end, it's because the lightning got really bad and uh, these lights and everything that it goes to produce a live stream create quite the power source. Uh, but again, thank you to those that are already dropping uh, comments in the chat. Happy New Year to all of you. I'll pull all of that up at the end. Uh, but what a great year 2021 has been for the H1B Guy platform. Um, the same can't be said for high-skilled immigrants currently in the U.S., but I think one of the things that a lot of you that have kept up with what we do here on this channel and what the message continues to be is that we want to bring awareness to these issues, that there is benefit in uh, high-skilled talent labor, not only for you, the individual, but for employers here in the U.S., as well as the U.S. economy as a whole. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we try to continue to promote and talk about. I do that through a data-driven approach. Um, of course, some of the most popular videos that I do here on this channel are my predictions. Uh, and if you go back and look at my track record of predictions, uh, you know, that track record has been hit or miss. Uh, generally, when we do predictions, I think anything that's over 50% is, is really good. Uh, so one of the things that we will be working on as we move forward is continuing to use a lot of this historical data and historical evidence um, as we do our predictions, not only just in reference to the visa bulletins, but also to employment-based immigration as a whole. So last year, exactly one year to the day on December 30th, 2020, I went live with my seven employment-based immigration predictions for 2021. And here I am back a year later, exactly to the day for this year's edition. And I'm also going to grade how I did with last year's predictions. So I wanted to start out by covering last year's seven predictions, uh, doing the grading, and then we will move into 2022's predictions. Um, with that being said, uh, let's just jump right into it and we can um, uh, cover how I did last year. Then we'll take a break uh, and then we'll get into 2022's predictions. So first prediction last year was that there would be very few recensions from President Biden concerning temporary foreign workers in the first 100 days. And so this one, I'm going to say correct. And the reason being is that there was actually one recension, there was one postponement, and the travel ban remained in place well into the middle of the summer, even moving as far into November of this year. So I really felt like the Biden administration's plan with immigration as a whole as they headed into their first 100 days would be to take a wait and see approach. Um, and we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of talking and not a lot of substance behind their um, their actions. And so I, I think that that's a very clear indicator of how they view immigration as a whole. And this isn't just about employment immigration. This is about all immigration. Um, so again, very few recensions. The biggest thing, though, uh, I think the postponement, which was recently rescinded, was the H-1B um, wage rule or selection 
rule, which was giving preference to the highest earners in the H-1B lottery. Um, of course, you know, the lifting of the travel ban and, and all of that's gone around in travel bans uh, has definitely been a, a hot topic. Uh, and quite honestly, when you look at what travel bans do, um, they separate families. They separate individuals from their employers. And I haven't been a big proponent of travel bans. Um, but unfortunately, we here in the U.S. and those outside of the U.S. have, have had to deal with those. Uh, the second prediction I had for last year was that consulates would not resume normal activity until April after April 1st. Wow. Uh, I'd say that they still haven't resumed normal activity. And I think that that is something that we look at last week, the news of H-1B um, uh, Stampings appointments now do not require in-person, at least for all of 2022. Um, so I'm hopeful that we're beginning to see a bit of return to normalcy. Uh, but really, we continue to see the Department of State, um, as well as USCIS, continue to use the pandemic um, for lack of processing and lack la lack of <laughs> lack of processing and and lack of consulate appointments. Uh, so the second one was correct. The third one, I said that there would be new legislation uh, that would be presented by July first of twenty twenty one, and this one was also correct. and And that's because the U.S. Citizenship Act of twenty twenty one, which was a day one. A uh, piece of legislation um, was introduced on February 18th, 2021. And then we also had the Eagle Act, which was introduced June 2nd of 2021, uh, as well as the immigration provisions that were included in the House version of the Build Back Better Act. Unfortunately, when you look at these three pieces of legislation, the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021 was was basically nothing but a bunch of words on a piece of paper. Uh, it showed the the actions um, of the current administration, which says, here's what we'd like to do, but we're not going to do anything about it. If we go back to the Eagle Act, which is a very similar piece of legislation to the Fairness for High Skilled Immigrants Act, um, you know, Senate Bill S-386, but this was introduced in the House of Representatives. Um, you look at how it, it, it does have some different verbiage, but it is it has a plan um, to eliminate the, the green card backlog and um, has a few other pieces of provisions. I, of course, I did videos on, on both of these um, uh, pieces of legislation where I covered the changes that they would make. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, not much has come of, of either. Neither's been made it through committee. Neither is, has been called onto the floors of either chamber. Um, and then we go to the immigration provisions in the House version of the Build Back Better Act, which the Senate version uh, we have not seen. Um, and, you know, a lot of hope still hanging out there as we head into January. And uh, we'll continue to take a wait and see approach. Uh, the fourth prediction that I had for last year was the H-4 EAD premium processing in the third quarter of fiscal year 2021 would be available. Um, unfortunately, I was incorrect on that. And, and this has really continued to be a moving target, uh, even internally within USCIS. I continue to hear that any day, anytime soon, that, that they're expecting an announcement to me be made. But here we are. 
you can go back to um, some some rumors that I had heard back in September where I had heard that H4 EAD premium processing would be available starting in October. Um, but yet that never came to fruition. I was told by the end of the year. Um, and I will tell you that, that the sources that I'm hearing from, multiple sources, all very valid and legitimate. Uh, but unfortunately, it just doesn't appear that, that USCIS is, is ready to begin accepting that. And I think a lot of it goes back to the processing capabilities. The fifth prediction for last year was that I said that there would be less than 200,000 HCAP petitions for fiscal year 2022. Uh, of course, that was incorrect. Um, there were 308,000 plus HCAP electronic petitions for fiscal year 2022. Uh, to say that I was way off is an understatement. Uh, but if we go back and look at the climate that was going on at the end of last year, and, and really, you know, this changed really drastically after the inauguration, uh, as hiring went into overdrive in IT and in STEM here in the U.S., and the lottery applications uh, for the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2022 followed along with that. Uh, the sixth prediction that I had last year was for wage level increases uh, would be announced by September of 2021. And, and this goes back to some of the Trump era uh, administration um, uh, notice of proposed rulemaking where they they wanted to increase the, the various wage levels. Uh, and, you know, the Biden administration was in support of that, but that was the one that was rescinded. Uh, in the first hundred days. So got that one incorrect. And I'll, got, I'll be honest with you about this wage level increase. I'm not really hearing a lot about this and anticipate anything in, in regards to wage level increases uh, as it relates to uh, the H-1B visa as we move into 2022. I do still believe, though, that this will be revisited by the Department of Labor at some point. I just don't know if it's going to be next year or the following year, which would move us into a calendar year of 2023 and fiscal year of 2024. And then the last one, the seventh prediction that I had was digital filing for all H-1B visas by end of year of 2021. Uh, of course, that's incorrect. Uh, USCIS has the capabilities, but yet they are still requiring paper applications across all lines for I-129s. And I think the biggest one for me is the new H-1B applications when they're using an electronic selection process. I, I'm really adamant about the ne necessity um, for electronic filing for new H-1B applications that are selected via the lottery. Um, I think that's going to help eliminate the second, third, and even fourth lotteries that, that we've seen uh, last year as well as this year. Uh, so to recap it all, I went three out of seven for my 2021 predictions last year, uh, grading out at 43%. Um, so I just wanted to say uh, that, listen, you know, that's that's not a terrible number. It's not a great number. Some of the things I really would have loved to have seen didn't happen. Um, and some of the things I really believe that were going to happen did. Um, so just wanted to, to take a, a second here and just remind everyone, um, you know, if you don't mind liking this video, 
Uh, if you're not already, please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. If you would give us a rating in your preferred podcast platform, if you're listening or watching this at a later date on one of the many podcast platforms that are out there. Um, if you have questions or comments, um, I see several Happy New Year's wishes to me and, and same in return to all of you. I'll bring all of that up uh, once we go through the seven immigration predictions for 2022. Um, the other thing that you can do if you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through um, Super Chat function here on YouTube. And if you're watching this at a later date, you can do so through buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. Dot com and you may notice some of the the lighting changes here uh, the background may look a little brighter to you um, that is where those contributions go to they are reinvested back into the technology uh, that i utilize to not only do the produced videos but the live stream videos i'd originally planned to do this as a produced video but honestly the last week has just been so chaotic here in my household um, and I had time to put together the content, but I just didn't have time to fill it. And honestly, I love doing these live sessions. Um, I love doing the Q&As. I love the comments and I love the interactive nature of what happens here um, and the beauty of being live with all of you. So thank you to all of you who have taken the time here to join me this afternoon. Um, really appreciate your time and, and your support. So let's jump into the seven employment-based immigration predictions for 2022. So first of all, uh, this is a, a huge change from last year because the climate feels completely different. But first of all, uh, there will be over 300,000 electronic applications submitted into the HCAP lottery for fiscal year 2023. I know that may not sound like a reach to all of you, but if you think about it, I was predicting under 200,000 last year uh, and we had over 300,000. I think it goes without saying that north of 300,000, again, is what is to be expected. Uh, if you go back to the electronic selection from uh, fiscal year 2020, where there were 275,000 plus electronic applications, uh, and historically speaking, a second lottery was held. Um, if we go back to last year, the 308,000 plus electronic applications, where there has now been an unprecedented third electronic lottery held, and where I'm predicting the possibility of there being even a fourth electronic lottery selection held for fiscal year 2021. Uh, so I really believe uh, as we look at and, and head into you know next year, uh, I think 300,000 is, is the new benchmark uh, for the electronic selection applications. My second prediction uh, for immigration, employment-based immigration as we head into 2022 is that there will definitely be a third and most, or th there will definitely be a second and most likely a third H-1B lottery electronic selection held for fiscal year 2023. Uh, so again, there will be a second and most likely a third H-1B lottery electronic selection held for fiscal year 2023. Uh, I think that goes without saying. We've seen now the the second selection is the norm. Uh, we had the unprecedented third this year. I'm anticipating a fourth. Uh, so as we look at what the random selection from the electronic filing is created, 
it's created multiple um, submissions of the same individual, but the restriction on only being able to go with one employer or go with the employer who's selected, and then the subsequent paper petition that's being required uh, with a 60-day window, um, you know, there was about a 75% response rate in round one. There was a little over a 40% response rate in round two. Uh, we'll be tracking what the response rate for round three will look like as we head into um, next year. And of course, if you go back, uh, you know, I did a video on is a fourth H-1B lottery for fiscal year uh, 2022 a possibility. And, and my answer was yes, I believe it will be. When you look at the data, you look at the overall number usage, you look at the application filing rate. Um, I, I think that the new norm now is a lottery held in March. A lottery held in the end of June, July, and as we saw here, a lottery in November. Um, so until something changes with the way the electronic selection period works, the filing fee around that, uh, I think we'll continue to see second and third lotteries are going to be the norm as, as we head forward. My third employment-based prediction uh, for 2022 is that employment-based immigration provisions will not be included in the Build Back Better Act. Um, there's a lot of rumors about it coming back uh, in, in January. Uh, of course, those provisions have, have been hotly contested, hotly debated, um, and not allowed to be included uh, by the Senate parliamentarian. Um, we've seen a lot of different games being played amongst Democrats, amongst Republicans, as it relates to the Build Back Better Act in the Senate. I still, though, believe that a standalone bill like the Eagle Act or the America's Children's Act could have its day in Congress. Of course, the previously aforementioned Eagle Act, very similar to Senate Bill S-386, the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act. But you may be wondering, why am I talking about the America's Children's Act? Well, the America's Children's Act is a bipartisan piece of legislation, both in the Senate and the House. Um, well, why is that uh, relative to employment-based immigration? Well, it's going to create EADs for documented and undocumented dreamers. Um, so I, I think that when you, you look at where the possibility of either one of those standalones could potentially go, um, I think that they could have their day on the various floors of the chambers. My fourth prediction for fiscal year, or excuse me, for next year, for 2022, uh, in immigration, uh, employment-based immigration, is that USCIS will finally allow premium processing for H-4 EADs. I am going to continue to predict that this is going to happen until it does. And I really believe that this is something that we will see sooner rather than later. However, I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, many times you've heard me talk about, and I've covered multiple times through the history of premium processing and all of the background in USCIS. Understand USCIS is a fee-funded organization. Premium processing is the number one revenue-generating source of income for USCIS. When you look at the delays that have occurred within the H4EAD space, the L2EAD space, 
I, I think it becomes a no-brainer to allow individuals, if they choose to upgrade the premium processing, to do so when we're looking at these I-765 forms. So, again, the, the, the mess of the EAD processing delays, the lack of work that it's created for um for women particularly who have lost their work authorization because of uh, the inability of USCIS to process EADs within a six-month window is, as, as I've said, it's criminal. Uh, so I'm hopeful that if they were to allow premium processing, it would allow them to expand their workforce based on the, the fees, the revenue generation of those fees, and hopefully reduce some of these EAD processing delays that we're currently seeing. My fifth prediction for employment-based immigration in 2022 is that overall H-1B and L-1 approvals for new and continuing employment will continue to decline in fiscal year 2022. Again, overall H-1B and L-1 approvals for new and continuing employment will continue to decline in fiscal year 2022. If we go back and look at the data for last year, for fiscal year 2021, we saw a 12% decrease in approvals for H-1B specifically. My guess right now is that that number will be cut in half. So somewhere between 5 to 6% of a decline year over year. Uh, but ultimately, when we start to track and look at what that means, you know, a pretty significant dip that will now have occurred over a three year plus period. A lot of folks want to blame the Trump administration for that decline. But I will tell you, this started in the Obama towards the end of the Obama administration when the scrutiny began to, to really be put on approvals, not only new, but continuing employment, particularly third-party uh, and client work sites. Um, so we'll, we'll track this. This will be something that we're going to watch really closely over the next nine months. And a lot of times the, the exact data uh, isn't published to us until the beginning of the following year. Um, so this may be one that we'll have to evaluate and, and take a look at uh, closer to the end of next year. Um, but again, I, I still believe that we're going to see a decline. Number six, and, and uh, number six in terms of six out of seven of my employment-based immigration predictions for 2022, and that is overall H-1B and L-1 approval percentages for new and continuing employment will be a above 90% for fiscal year 2022. Again, overall H-1B and L-1 approval percentages for continuing new employment will be above 90% for fiscal year 2022. Uh, this past year is the first year that we've seen that number um, rise above 90%. Uh, particularly the last time that it happened was year one of the Trump administration. And then, then after that, it dipped below 90% as far down as 87 or so percent. Um, so again, what does that mean? That means that nine out of every 10 H-1Bs and L-1s, other L-1A or L-1Bs that are submitted will be approved. So nine out of 10, uh, every H-1B or L-1A or B that's submitted for approval will be approved in fiscal year 2022. And the last prediction, number seven, uh, for my seven employment-based immigration predictions for 2022 is that USCIS 
will implement electronic filing for form I-129s by the end of 2022. So yes, I am still holding out hope because what I do know is that they have the capabilities to do so. And I believe that if we continue to ask them to improve their technology, to improve their experience, and to utilize the capabilities that they have, they will. I'm hopeful that by the end of next year, we will be able to submit I-129s electronically via USCIS. Um, we saw the increase in some of the data that, that USCIS put out and the growth of the My USCIS accounts that have occurred um, in, in the last fiscal year. So we've seen a significant increase in individuals using the platform. Uh, so I'm hopeful that as we look at transparency, as we look at efficiency, um, that by the end of next year, USCIS will allow for the I-129s to be filed electronically. So there you have it. To recap again, my seven employment-based predictions uh, for 2022, and that is number one, there will be over 300,000 electronic applications submitted into the HCAT lottery for fiscal year 2023. Number two, there will be a second and most likely a third H-1B lottery electronic selection held for fiscal year 2023. Number three, employment-based immigration provisions will not be included in the Build Back Better Act, but standalone bills like the Eagle Act or even the America's Children's Act could have its day in both chambers of Congress. Number four, USCIS will finally allow for premium processing for H4 EADs at some point in 2022. Number five, Overall, H-1B and L-1 approvals for new and continuing employment will continue to decline in fiscal year 2022, and I believe that number will be somewhere between 5 to 6% in decline. Number six, overall H-1B and L-1 approval percentages for new and continuing employment will be above 90% for fiscal year 2022. And then number seven, USCIS will implement electronic filing for I-129s by the end of 2022. So there you have it. What do you all think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do any of you that are out there watching, do you have any predictions um, as we head into 2022? Uh, what is your thoughts on how I did last year? Do you have any thoughts on what the lottery is going to look like? Do you believe that electronic submissions for I-129s are a possibility uh, by the end of next year? Let me know. Um, go ahead and post any questions or comments that you have. We will jump into that here in just a, a few short minutes. Um, I did want to ask you again, if you haven't already, to please like this video subscribe to the h1b guy channel here on youtube if you'll leave us a rating in your preferred podcast platform if you're watching or listening um, to this at a later date we really appreciate your support continuing to see continued growth um, in the episodes that, that i'm putting out on the podcast platform so thank you so much for all of you who out there in the podcast world are listening and watching uh, thank you to everyone who has joined in here today uh, as we wrap up really kind of the last couple of work days of 2021 and we head into 2022 um just gonna go ahead and, and pull up some of these happy new year wishes uh the 
today was really about covering last year's immigration predictions, which, you know, I graded out again at 43%. Hopefully next year I can be above that. Um, that would be really cool if I could break the 50% barrier next year, which would be what, four out of seven. So I'm not that good with math. I have to, to use a calculator. But um, with that being said, hey, Ken, how are you? Uh, nice to see you. Happy New Year, my friend. Thank you for joining in here this afternoon. I really, really appreciate your support. Um, hey, Watcher, nice to see you. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Really appreciate you jumping in here this afternoon. Really appreciate your support. Hey, Chetton, how are you? Happy New Year. I uh, appreciate your ongoing and continued support. I can't do it without people like you and Watcher and um, Akin who, who constantly join in here on these live streams and, and, and comment. I just really appreciate it. Can I share my email ID? Oh, absolutely. Um, really appreciate your generosity. It's pretty easy. Um, it's theh1bguy at gmail.com. Hey, Ed, how are you? Happy New Year to you. Really, really appreciate um, you joining in here and all of your contributions to the live streams um, that we've had over the last year. Thank you so much for your continued support. Plus one for interviews with black, backlog folks and their stories. Yeah, you know, I... Um, I didn't do a lot of uh, the Stamp It Outs this year. Um, I, I would like to do more of those as I head into 2022. Um, there's a lot of work and a lot of time that goes into it. And, and honestly, um, I want to tell stories that all of you are interested in hearing. Of course, if any of you are interested in participating in the Stamp It Out series, um, I think I stopped with episode 10, which was Dr. Pranav Singh. Uh, so maybe we can get to episode 11. Uh, of course, you can reach out to me directly, uh, Twitter, um, here on YouTube, via my website, theh1bguy.com. Uh, so I definitely would like to, to go ahead and make arrangements to do at least three or four Stamp It Outs as, as, as we head into 2022. Plus one for interviews with Emmy Voice and anti-immigration activists. Yeah, th this is something that a lot of you have asked me about. I will tell you, I was reached out to um, by a, uh, a media outlet uh, that's very anti-immigration. And um, I, I haven't declined yet because I just have been so busy. But I, I just, they're not somebody that I want to talk to. Um the hate and their rhetoric and the narrative that they want to preach is not who I am and not the narrative that this platform is all about. Um, this platform has been a big voice of equality. And while, you know, I think IV has led a really good charge. There are some of their tactics that quite honestly, um, I don't personally agree with. Um, and you know, they're a lot bigger than I am, to be honest with you. They have a lot more support, 
um, and a lot more individuals that are behind their cause. And I don't think that that anyone from there would would ever want to come on this platform. But if they do, and if you share that with them, please reach out. I'd love the opportunity to uh, to sit down with with one of the powers that be and talk about their tactics, the forcefulness of their tactics and why they think those tactics work versus others. Um, but yeah, I think that that hopefully as, as we move into 2022, um, you know, we can find the right types of interviews here for this platform as we continue to bring more awareness uh, to the employment based benefits of being a high skilled immigrant currently here in the U.S. But Chet, and thank you so much, my friend. Happy New Year to you and your family. Um Curious how your your EB one is going. If uh, if if anything has changed on on your end. Hey Prashant, how are you, my friend? Thanks for joining in. Happy New Year to you. Wishing you and your family a prosperous twenty twenty two. Yeah, I, I think the question is: Are you looking at? 2023's lottery or are you still holding out hope for that fourth selection uh from fiscal year 2022 which you know by my calculations could be a possibility sometime in in march or april uh, of 2022 uh but let me know which which are you you shooting for um are, are you are you trying to go into the portal for next year are you looking for uh that that fourth that fourth selection uh, as, as we head into to next year. Hey, Sophia, thank you so much. Are there any backlog EB2 NI, NIW processing, or is there a, a difference for consular processing? Um, so you're asking about the uh, natural interest, national interest waiver. Um, I'm assuming that you may be located outside of the U.S., um, if you can answer that for me, let me know. But it, it appears to me that that a lot of the the consular processing for outside the U.S. has has been historically slow. Um, it's funny that that you bring up processing. Um, but I I had a question come up, Sophia, from a comment on on YouTube about changing processing centers for the I four eighty fives. Uh, from from Texas to Nebraska. And so I went out on, on Google. I was just curious. I looked at the Google reviews and I, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier, but Google reviews for the Nebraska Service Center um, are 1.9 rating. And for Texas Service Center, it's a 2.1 rating on Google reviews. I, I, as I said, you know, I think that speaks volumes to uh, the state of affairs internally within the processing centers. Uh, at USCIS. But if you'll let me know um, what you got going on here, Sophia, if I can answer that, um, I'm not 100% sure if you're in the US or not. Hey, Yogesh, thanks for joining. Always good to see you. Really appreciate your continued support and happy new year to you as well. EB1 approved about to file that I-485. That's awesome, Chetan. That is, that's awesome. 
Hey, sweet seller, happy new year to you. My prediction about how far EB2 will reach this year. Yeah, this is a, a pretty hot question. Um, if, if we go back and, and look at kind of where things stand, the forward movement that we saw um, from the January bulletin and, you know, what that means as, as we head into February, um, I've been working on the February predictions here pretty recently. Um plan on producing that or, or publishing that posting that on monday january the third um but when we look at you know again kind of where are these final action dates july 8th of 2012 um there was two months of movement i, I believe we're going to see something similar I, I think we could see anywhere between 30 to another 60 days of movement in february's bulletin so does that mean that by the end of the year we get into to, to 2013? Um, I know that you were pretty adamant about there being a possibility of uh, of retrogression in April once some of the, the numbers post. Um, so I'm still holding out. I, I don't think that there will be. But again, you know, if we're talking about the end of this fiscal year and how far we get, I'm hopeful that the final actions it will move hopefully a lot closer to, to where the dates of filing, um, you know, are, are, are currently showing, which is if you think about six months from right now, <coughs> excuse me, six months from right now, where does that put us? Well, that that's going to put us in that, that July, 2013, uh, right now, final action dates are exactly a year to the day behind dates of filing. So I'm hopeful that if there isn't retrogression, that hopefully by the end of the year, we will see 2013, maybe even in the middle of 2013. But a lot of that goes back to, you know, what we talked about on the last live stream, uh, you know, where, where you had mentioned the retrogression. Um, in April, we got to monitor that. This thing is so fluid, and, and I think a lot of times it feels like uh, the the State Department's just making up the forward movement, kind of similar to how we do these predictions. But sweet seller, thank you for your support recently. Uh, you know, really thankful for the opportunity to um, to 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 answer your questions. Chet says after losing H1B seven times and two O one A's, that's just ridiculous. Cause I believe you're a researcher. If, if I'm remembering correctly, um, although I think you went in the EB one a category. Um, but again, you know, what is this seven times not selected two O one A's, which a lot of the anti-immigration activists talk about O one being the ideal visa for high school immigrants, not the H one. And, and here you are, right? Um, okay. So Prashant, you're talking about next year. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. looks like you're going to be one 300,000, right? <laughs> Hate to say it like that, but that just seems to be how it's, it's measuring up. Yeah, you're in, in Canada, uh, Sophia. So again, it, it goes back to those individual consular processings um, on that EB2 NIW. Again, those are treated very similar. Uh, if you are in Canada, a Canadian citizen, you know, your your dates, depending on where they are, are most likely current. Um, so it really is just about your, your final action, you know, being 
becoming current and then getting that 45 submitted and, and then being able to go through the, the consular approval process. Yeah, chatting no longer in the backlog, feel so relieved and stress and free, right? Yeah, I mean, I think what does that tell you? You're you have freedom. And this is the one thing that we talk about a lot is what freedom to choose that freedom of choice. And that freedom of choice is who you work for, how much you're paid, where you work, when you can travel. These are the things that I think a lot of folks who, when they're looking at coming to the U.S. under an employment-based immigration visa, they don't really understand the restrictive nature of what's involved. And that is, it doesn't matter whether you're from India or for some other place around the world, that it is restrictive. It's intentionally restrictive. And so that's the thing that I advise anyone who's considering coming to the U.S. to work, to pursue your dream, to pursue that opportunity, do your due diligence. Make sure you understand what, what options are involved and how long you could potentially be on a temporary status. Hey, Anton, how you doing? Really appreciate your support and uh, joining me here on this live stream. Hey, Sanyam, how are you? Happy New Year. Um, may remember my case when I commented on your previous video. My H1B was picked in the second lottery, but my lawyer was not informed about it. Okay, so let me pull up the next comment here that you have. Now my lawyer told me that she was able to get in contact with the USCIS liaison office and they are looking into the matter. What do you think the chances are we'll get Green Signal to apply? Thanks in advance. Well, I would make sure that everything is ready from uh, the perspective of your employer. Uh, of course, if the lawyer is working with the USCIS liaison and they're looking into it, if your USCIS, does, does your my USCIS account show that you were selected? I'm assuming that it does. This would be where I would make sure that from my employer perspective, they've got everything ready to go from a paper petition standpoint to be filed and submitted. Um, and then that way it can be overnighted before the deadline. Um, I don't remember the exact deadline on the third lottery. I would have to go back and dig that up. Give me a second. See if I can see if I can find that. I know I covered it. I just don't have it right in front of me. I was going to see if I could find it. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. If you know the deadline, let me know. I'd, I'd be curious. I think it's coming up, though. I think it's February, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, getting EB1 is no joke, Chet, and it costs a lot of money too, but look at the peace of mind it, it you know, provides you. Yeah, these the separation issues, right? That, that goes back to the freedom that we talked about, right? The restrictive nature of being on a temporary visa um, and, and what that means. You know, here you say, like, I was about to leave the U.S. for Canada with, with my PR. Of course you were. 
right? I, I talk about Syndesis and Path to Canada all the time. It's not because I want individuals to leave the U.S., but because you've got to have a plan B. You're temporary. And that's the thing that, that the warning sign and the awareness that we do here on this platform, um, we want to put high-skilled immigrants in a position to, to have the latest and greatest information they can to make the choices that are best for you and your family. It's really what it's all about. Anton asked, wanted to ask, what kind of advantage does a master's degree bring in terms of the H-1B lottery? And are there any numbers on the ratio of applicants for the master's? Yeah, so I think it really is dependent upon the number that goes into the pool. So if you think about 65000 for a foreign bachelor's degree and 20000 uh, for a U.S. advanced master's degree and what those percentages are, um, I've not seen a breakdown of last year of the 308 and what it looked like from a um, from a perspective of how many were actually advanced U.S. masters. They do have those breakdowns. That data is not available, but I don't know off the top of my head. I have always felt like there was a higher probability, though, for that U.S. Uh, advanced degree category. Um, I personally, when I was sponsoring and, and working documents for my, my previous employer, we had a lot of success in the advanced category. So that was generally, you know, the, the preference that I preferred to go under. And again, you're here working in the U.S. You already have a job here in the U.S. That's the big thing um, that I think gives you an advantage uh, from, from the master's degree pool. I'm thinking about applying. Sophie says, "I'm Sophia says I'm thinking about applying for EB1A and EB2 and IW. I'm not sure if I would meet the threshold, but if there are backlogs, maybe I, that would that that I would take my chance." Well, it, again, depending on your country of origin, if you're a Canadian citizen, um, I also am aware, and, and I will mention, you know, EB1C is also a, a good option for Canadian uh, citizens um, that are looking for an employment-based category. I know of a handful of Canadian citizens that have gone down the EB1C path. I've done a video on EB1C before as well, Sophia, so if you haven't checked that out, you may want to. Um but if I can help you, you know, answer any questions going forward, you know, let, let me know. But I, I like the EV2 and IW category. Um, it really is just a matter of your qualifications. As Chetan would tell you, you know, he went through the EB1A. Um, and it, it, as he he said, it, it literally um, is quite a challenge. So, uh, again, I think that for you, you need to understand what are your qualifications, which category is going to be best. And I would spend my time and energy focused on that. I like the EB2 and IW. Um, if you are a Canadian citizen, really either category is going to be current once your adjustment of status, um, uh, excuse me, once your I-140 I is, is filed and approved, you could probably file the adjustment of status in parallel, depending on your, your country of origin. Hey, the AV1Z, nice to see you. Thanks for jumping in. Any predictions about India employment-based final action for February? Yeah, I, I said this just a few minutes ago. You, you may have mentioned it, um, but I think I think we're going to see somewhere between another you know month to 60 days of movement in February. Um, 
again, last month it was 68 days. Let me see, just to get it right here. 68 days of forward movement um, from a month over month perspective from December to January. I think we could see something similar, maybe a little bit less as, as we continue to move forward. But yeah, EB2 um, for India and employment base for February continues to see movement. Of course, EB3, I don't think we're going to see any movement into the foreseeable future. Um, doesn't mean that that's fun for me predicting it, but it just means that that's the reality of what I'm currently seeing as, as we look at what, what we're doing. Any chances for March 31st, 2014, uh, EB India priority date to hit data filing VB chart for fiscal year 2022. Are you, um, uh, Cash App, are you referring to EB2 or EB3? Because uh, I don't think either, just to be honest, I don't think either will hit that by the end of this fiscal year. Um but again, that's uh, that's a 2BD. Uh, well, really, I think when we look at it, and I said this back on December the 20th, April, May, and June are going to give us insight because last year, that's when we really saw a lot of the advanced movement that, that began to happen. Um, but I don't think that we'll see that for either category. I think mid, maybe, maybe dates of filing for, for EB2, maybe. Because uh, right now it sits at June 8th, 2013. Um, so again, that would be roughly nine months of forward movement potentially by the end of the year. Um, so if it did happen, it, it could possibly happen um, by the end. But I think EB3 is going to be stuck for the foreseeable future. Uh, I think it could move back into 2013 by the end of the year, but I don't think 14 is is possibility. So let me just make sure I've got this right. Okay, so the end of February. Yeah, 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 that's that's exactly right. So again, uh, Sanyam, I, I just would make sure that everything is ready from uh, your job posting perspective, from your LCA, that all of that is ready to go so that once there is clarification, probably you'll get some clarification, I, I'd imagine, mid-January um, so that there would be at least enough sufficient time for employer and uh, the attorney to file that that paper petition again the thing to keep in mind is if it really is about the day the 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 last day so as long as you your employer or their attorney submits an overnight that's received on the last day you're good so you literally have like until the day of all right. So just keep that in mind when you look at that specific date. Sorry, I don't have that exact date in front of me. Um, normally I, I remember it, but I'm just I'm drawing a blank. I, I want to say. Let me see if I can find this for you. I'm just going to pull up the fourth lottery because I think I had it on that. February 23rd. There it is. So February 23rd um, is is the day. So as long as your attorney or your employer submits your petition on February 22nd, 
with next day overnight delivery and you have a confirmation of shipping, FedEx tracking number, UPS tracking number, you're, you're good. So you've got a little bit of time um, to get this resolved, but keep me posted. I definitely want to follow along with you as, as you work on, on resolving this. Sweet Seller says, keep up the good work. One other comment is that in general, you're very accurate with your prediction. Example, November VB bulletin where retrogression was not accounted. I rate you 11 of 12, around 90%. Man, thank you. I, I know, I, I think that you left me a comment on um, on my channel about how I missed pretty badly. It happens. Um, and I, I, that's why I do the H1B guy grades. I wish more people would watch that video, but I'm going to still put them out there. Um, and even if I'm at 30% or 20% or 50%, um, I'm going to hold myself accountable for the predictions that I put out there because I do that for you guys. Um, I love doing that. Like I said, I have tracked the Visa Bulletin um, going back to 2011-12 um, and really managed it very closely starting in 2013. So this isn't something that I just came up with overnight um, and I just do for views. I, I don't do it for views. Um, I do it because I love doing it. And this is something that I'm passionate about. And I have this very unique skill set. Um, there aren't very many American born individuals like me talking about this. And one of the things that I wanted to do is help bring awareness not only to you, the high skilled immigrant, but to also people in my network, my friends, my family who have no idea the plight of what you all go through to leave everything behind and pursue a better opportunity here in the U.S. And what that impact has on our society and in talent and staffing, because I'm a recruiter at heart. Technology recruiting is something that I've been doing since 2004. And because of that, I became a subject matter expert in work authorizations, particularly the H-1B visa. So thank you so much. That comment means a lot to me because, listen, I need you to hold me accountable. That's just how it works, right? And if I'm wrong, let me know. If I'm right, let's celebrate it. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, hey, Sanya, absolutely. Um, you you have to stay on top of it. Understand that the employer works, or excuse me, the attorney works for your employer. They don't work for you. And that's the one thing that I think a lot of times when we go through this where, where there is confusion and we look at the high-skilled immigrants um, and where there is a sense of entitlement is that the line is this. The immigration attorney works for your employer. They don't work for you. You've got to stay on it. You have to stay persistent. But do that without being annoying. It's my best advice because I've been copied on a lot of these emails over the years. And sometimes it gets to a point to where it's like they don't know. They can't give you an answer until they have it. You continuing to follow up with them. Is it going to change things? Believe me, they're legally obligated to let your employer know and then you. Yeah, so I covered both the EB2 and EB3 uh, Cash App. I hope that helped. Any chances of FB to EB spillover for fiscal year 2023? You know, I, I, we saw a good amount of spillover over the last couple of years, but I think we've seen an increase in the family sponsored. The good news about spam, family sponsors is that those numbers are a little bit higher than employment based. So it'll be interesting to see if they're 
our spillover and what that would look like. Of course, we go back to, you know, USCIS, this list of accomplishments and the 170 plus thousand employment based adjustment of statuses that they processed as a historic high last year. Well, again, congratulations to them, but the allocation was much higher. There was 80, 90,000 that went to waste. Why? Was it realistic for them to ever process that many? No. Is it realistic for them to process the current allotment for this year? No. Can they get above what they processed last year? Well, I think if there was a methodical plan in place that allowed them to not try to squeeze everything in at the very last minute, like we've seen in these June, July, and August, and September numbers that we've been seeing, then there's a possibility that we won't have as much wastage. But I'm not confident that we'll see a large amount of family-based spillover. If we do, I think it'll be a smaller number than what we've seen over the last few years. I am hearing, though, that demand for family-based has continued to increase uh, throughout all of this year. So, excuse me, it'll be really interesting to see what will happen um, and what that allotment looks like. I'll tell you, I really hope that the Department of State has plans to begin doing streams after these monthly visa bolts because some of that gave us a lot of valuable insight um, around what the spillover would look like. Hey, the AV1Z, uh, my wife and I have filed our 45 under EB3 2014 PD back in October 2020. My wife's PD is 7-17-2012. So should we file a new 485 again when it comes time or interfile? Our medicals are also submitted. Yeah, the interfile is parallel. So I think it depends on, um, you know, what is closest for you. Um, it looks like, you know, the, the retrogression that occurred, um, in that EB3 category probably is impacting you. And that's probably a reason why you're asking that question. The good news is, is that if you were submitted in that, that, that is frozen. Um, you, you could consider a, a, a parallel. Um, but you know, I, again, I think it's really a matter of, do you want to uh, assume that extra expense? Is it worth it for you? Is it the best of both worlds? Are you one of these individuals that we may be looking at an upgrade for that, uh, you know, sweet sellers alluded to that that could have an impact as we look at potentially April retrogression? Um, you know, back when all the craziness happened in October 2020, I advised folks to sit pat if you were an EB2. And the reason why is exactly what's going on here. If you would have sit sit tight, right? Uh, you, you could be filing now under EB2, but you wouldn't have had the opportunity to have filed back in October 2020. And potentially, um, you know, I don't know if you have your EADAP yet or not, but that could be a possibility that, that you could be seeing that at some point in the future. And, and that would give you some freedom. But to answer your question. Um, OK, so you said that there is there's no no upgrade. All right. So no upgrade. Yeah. Again, you know, I think that. The, the 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 question would be if you did the downgrade would you want to want to interfile or, or in parallel you got your medicals for me i, I want to take the, the 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 path of least resistance right as as an individual that's just for me how i handle things um i'm being honest i, I don't know what the right 
advice is here for you other than to say take whatever options you have in front of you and pursue them if you can afford it. I hope that makes sense. I think it does. Yeah, hey, Keshav, absolutely. Happy New Year to you and uh, wishing you a prosperous 2022. Um, really appreciate your support. Hey, uh, Sophia, which USCIS Center for EB2 National Interest Waiver is the is the quickest? I understand that I'll have to submit an I-140 first, then uh, the, the, con the consult, um, meaning uh, the consulate near me would contact me once approved. Correct. So it's, it's really based on your current location uh, and who has availability. Now, you don't have to use that local consulate. You can always decide if you want to, to go somewhere else. Um, the ones that I do know to stay away from are that the ones that are near the Michigan border and near the Buffalo, New York border. Um, so good luck to you on that EB2 NIW. Um, if, uh, if you do have other questions, you can always can reach out to me and we'll see if, uh, if I can help. I do have a few friends that have gone through this EB2 NIW process um, pretty recently and, and help, can help advise. Unfortunately, they weren't from Canada. They were from, uh, other parts of South America, um, and, and kind of dealt with, with similar, but they were here in the U S which changes it a little bit. No, an upgrade for me, an upgrade for you from EB3 to EB2. My, your wife is is in EB2. You both already have your EAD APs. Yeah, so this is, you're the exact case that, that Sweet Seller and I have been going back and forth on um, over the last couple of weeks, which is how many of these folks that were in EB3 that may be downgraded or were sitting there in EB3 and were good, then saw the, the significant retrogression that happened uh, in November now are in the process of upgrading. And this is that impact of that. Um, so I, I think that for you, you know, ultimately the question becomes, uh, what's the best solution? And could, could you interfile or file in, in parallel? A again, if your employer is willing to do it and if you're willing to pay for it, uh, I would say go for it because I think you're going to be closer in that EB2 category um, than you will in, in EB3 over the next probably six to nine months, if that makes sense. All right, that was a lot. Thank you all for your questions. I hope my advice helps you. Again, these opinions are merely opinions. They're non-legal opinions based on my own uh, personal experiences in the staffing industry of, geez, almost 18 years now I've been doing this. It's really hard to believe when I say that out loud. Um, you know, really looking for continued growth here um, on the uh, on the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to, to moving on to uh, the next um, milestone here, which is, you know, creeping up closer to uh, 3,000 subscribers here on this channel. Um, I went back and looked. My website, theh1bguy.com, had almost 200,000 hits uh, for all of 2021 and combining that with all the views here on YouTube. 
Uh, I'm coming up on almost a half a million views. It's pretty incredible and humbling that um, all of you tune in to listen to me talk about immigration here on a weekly basis. I'm indebted to all of you for all of your support. Um, and I really, really, just really appreciate it. Uh, Chet asked, do I know how to check processing times for I-45s if it's submitted to lockbox? Does it go to a service center first, then a field office? I believe each step has different processing. Yeah, so it will go to a service center. And if the service center is overloaded, they could push it out to a field office. Um, I would imagine you can track that via your MyUSCIS account. Um, but there are a couple of websites out there that do actually track the processing times. Um, if you can't find those, just reach out to me. I, of course, the H1B guy at gmail.com, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and I can, I can share those, those sites with you. So again, thank you all for joining me here today on my seven, uh, employment based immigration predictions as we head into 2022. Just to do a quick recap of those employment-based predictions, um, there will be over 300,000 electronic applications submitted in the HCAP lottery for fiscal year 2023. There will be a second and most likely a third H-1B lottery held for selection um, for fiscal year 2023. Employment-based immigration provisions will not be included in the Build Back Better, but more likely a standalone like the Eagle Act or America's Children's Act. Um, could have its day on the floors of both chambers of Congress. Number four, USCIS will finally allow premium processing for H-4 EADs. Uh, number five, um, overall H-1B and L-1 approvals for new and continuing employment will continue to decline in fiscal year 2023. Number six, overall H-1B and L-1 approval percentages for new and continuing employment will be above 90% for fiscal year 2022. And last, number seven, USCIS will implement electronic filings for I-129s by the end of 2022. Just wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream is proudly brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They will gladly help you navigate the process. And if you're interested in finding out more, you can use the link in the video description below, or there are links on the posts uh, on my blog on the h1bguy.com that will direct you to each of the entities to see if you qualify. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase and the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. Again, just wanted to ask you to like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel like we will on Monday, uh, January the 3rd with our the H1B Guy forecast, February 2022, uh, Visa Bulletin Predictions, um, or like we've gone live here today. 
Uh, really appreciate all of you have jumped in and, and joined me with the Q&A in the chat. I hope that my advice and my opinions here um, are able to help and assist you as you navigate this complex landscape of high-skilled employment here in the U.S. From my family to yours, I want to wish you a very happy new year, a very prosperous 2020. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join me uh, here on this live stream, or if you're watching in advance, I just really appreciate your support. The H-1B Guy, your global source for all things H-1B.